Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, podcast listeners. Welcome. You made it back again. It's amazing. Al Martin here with Kate, the producer of choice. I have the guest today, Dima Sorotkin. He is the founder of Pandatron, just like Peloton, but nothing like it, right? He is a PhD researcher at Alta University in Helsinki. He's got clients like SAP, Universal Pictures. Pandatron is a startup that supports change management by scaling AI-driven coaching one-on-ones to every manager and allows them to measure change. I was first introduced to Dima. He made a pitch to me, I don't know, what, a week ago, two weeks ago, something like that. As a result, I had many questions. So I said, hey, you just need to come on my podcast and let's get this out. He agreed to. I'm looking at him right now and he's got a Yeti microphone. He, so he's a professional. He's done this many times. A few more things that I'd like to say about Dima here is that, uh, and, and we'll talk about this, his life changed, quote unquote, in 2014 when at a leadership development conference, he was asked about his dreams, fears, and passions. That made him uh, embark on a, a development tool that brings a 100x return from investing into people's behavior and culture change. In his free time, he invests in human longevity and aging research. I don't know how that relates. I guess it's human um, behavior in there someplace, but we'll talk about that. Uh, and in particular, his PhD is focused on the topic of self-managing organizations or organizations that decentralize authority. That's a lot, man. Why don't I pause and you properly introduce yourself? I think 95% of my time is spent uh, on Pandaton. And I'm sure we, we're going to talk about that more. So I'm, I'm the CEO uh, responsible for leading the team, sales, uh, investment. I dabble in product. I do a PhD part-time when I don't have work left to do, which is almost never, let's say, on the weekends. I um, study organizations that decentralize authority, as you said. So examples would be teal organizations, Holacracy, uh, DAOs have lately been all the hype. So essentially organizations that say, okay, what if instead of having a flat hierarchy, what if we don't have managers at all? Believe me or not, but there are some that are, you know, 18,000 people and they essentially have only a back office of like 50 to 100 people. Pretty incredible. Aging research doesn't exactly tie to this whole story, you know, neatly. I would just say that it's, uh, you know, it's about uh, uh, human life and human flourishing. The, <laughs> the, the pandatron is about the flourishing part. The aging research is about the life itself. I've been advising startups. Uh, one is now finalizing its exit. So that's been exciting, uh, kind of looking how that happens for the first time ever. I have been, you know, sort of like a part-time founder there and an advisor. I wouldn't say that I was, you know, a proper founder, but it's saw the whole story from from the inside. So, but I, I think you nailed it. Great intro. Tell us about your product. So it kind of set the stage of, of some questions, follow-on questions I have from our earlier discussion. Yeah, so we're helping corporations, usually, you know, 20,000 people plus, so quite, quite massive organizations with change management. It is a huge problem. Uh, there is a famous McKinsey quote that 70% 70, 70 of those programs fail. I don't know if that's realistic, but let's say that, only 40% of them fail. That still seems like a huge number. And currently, companies use training. They use communication. 
and it doesn't really work, it seems. I would say that the challenge is often in the fact that these tools are not personalized. We're kind of treating people as this homogenous group, and, and they're not. Every individual is an individual, and, and they require you know a specific approach. There's a methodology called business coaching. Uh, there's a lot of research behind it showing that it's effective. The problem is that it can cost $250 euros per hour. And so even the richest companies usually can't scale it. And that's how we you know, initially came to this problem. And these days, what we do is that we use AI to automate coaching. A year ago, I didn't think it would be possible. But currently, it seems like, wow, this is actually already happening. And, and clients are already getting value at scale. And, and it seems kind of crazy because like, coaching seems like this very sophisticated methodology. Once we scale coaching, you know, use AI, automate it, scale it to thousands of people, even at the scale of hundreds, we start seeing patterns. So individuals work on certain problems and they're like, well, maybe it's just me. But we see the big picture and we're like, no, it's half of your department is struggling with the same issue. So we anonymize that data and deliver the insights to the management. We're like, hey, so we're working on some individual issues that we can fix. Yes, you know, your people are going to work harder and prioritize and, and, you know, work smarter. But there's some problems that are systemic usually they're like, oh, wow, we've done this HR survey and no one told us anything. Like, how come? So it tends to be also very surprising. So that's in a nutshell what, what we do. Look, I, I'm with you that culture, you know, by example, causes, I think it's the number one cause of acquisitions to fail. So I, I get what you're saying. But what you've kind of described, it would sound like almost like a survey or like Mentimeter or something like that. Where does the coaching come in? I think if you compare with a survey, you usually do a survey, there's kind of two options. Either you do it once per quarter, maybe, and, and it's very long, or you do it on a weekly basis, but then it's two questions. So for us, the engagement is half an hour per week, usually. So people chat with a robot for half an hour every week. And so the amount of engagement is totally different, but also a huge difference is that in a survey, you're asking questions to get information versus in coaching, you're asking questions to actually help people and help them advance with, with their goals. So the outcome is not just that, oh, we amass more data and then, you know, we, we might produce more insight, but it's that these people actually start, first of all, that they realize what the core issues are that they're struggling with, like what's underlying them, right? And then two, that they create a plan to move forward. Like, what are you going to do until next week? What's the, you know, small mini goal that you can accomplish until next week? All right, I got it, but I don't got it. So give me an example of the conversation that happens with this robot and where the coaching yep. comes in. Because first come to mind, I would have to think that you've got predefined questions. The content is actually written by experts. So in the future, we might use AI to actually like generate variety, but for now, all the content is actually, there's no magic there. So the AI works on the level of choosing the right content. So it kind of acts as a recommendation engine. So you asked an example. So let's say that I have my weekly session and then I, I write that actually, you know, uh, the sales numbers are not great. So I, I feel like, you know, that that's really not, not going in the right direction. So then what the... AI would do is to classify that and be like, okay, that sounds like a, a sales problem. And I would give you the, you know, the framework for this kind of issues. And I would ask you, okay, or ask myself as a robot, okay, what is the goal? Right. And I would say, well, maybe the goal is 
500 clients. I'm in a small uh, consumer business, 500 clients per month. It's like, okay, great. Where are you currently? Right. Would be the next question. I would say, well, currently it seems like we are on track maybe for 250. And then the bot would be like, great. So what are the options to actually get to that 500? And then I would be like, well, maybe I could increase, you know, improve the marketing materials. Or maybe the problem is, you know, how many cold calls I do. To interject, but I, yeah. as the business yeah. owner, I'm putting the questions in. No. So essentially um, we have social psychologists and coaches and staff who, who are responsible for that. All right. So, so in other words, I partner with your company. Yep. Uh, I tell them, Hey, I got this problem. They're not, we're mm -hmm. not making enough money. And then mm -hmm. you come in and say, all right, let's break this down. Here are the questions I want to ask. And then they act as the robot in terms of acting questions for 30 minutes a week and folks, you know, fill out their answers. It is a chatbot that is integrated into Teams and Slack. It's not that there is kind of a, a survey. It's a, it's a conversation. So the same way as a human being would approach you on, on Slack or Teams, just that this time it's not a human being. So it's, it's a plugin into Teams and Slack. You're interviewing me. I'm answering all the questions. Management doesn't know what they're doing. We got a bad strategy, blah, blah, blah. All right, now what? So essentially, you know, I got to the point where, you know, I'm asking you about the, the options and let's say I generate a few and then I, I would ask you, okay, what are the obstacles, right? And you would say, okay, this are the, you know, the management is bad, etc. cetera. Um, and then I would ask you, okay, so you, you listed a few solutions, let's commit to one of them. So that, that's kind of like the structure of a very simple coaching conversation. And it's obviously like, I'm just giving like a very simplistic example here, uh, just for this, for the sake of, you know, ma making it brief. Uh, but essentially it, it serves, you know, it, it does two things. One is helping you to understand, you know, what, what's the core issue and, and hopefully kind of go, going deeper. So you'd say, okay, the, the management is not great. It's like, okay, what's not great about it. Right. And have you gave them feedback and, and what have been the response? So, so I would try to kind of really dig deeper and, and help you understand what's, what's the core issue there. And let's say you would say that, okay, Kate is your manager. And the reality is that, uh, you know, Kate is not responsive to negative feedback. And then we would be like, okay, so we got that assumption. Let's, you know, what can we do next? What would be the next small thing you can do about it? Right. And then we would help them to create a plan and actually do something until next week. But everything you've described to me so far is a is an interaction with a coach on your team. No, 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 no. That's that's okay. all with with the AI coach. So there's no humans involved. So when I said that the humans write the content, I mean that they they write the scripts, right? But then when there is a session, there's no like hands off the wheel, right? There's no driver, and that's so the magic me... that, that it's fully software. All right, I got that. All right, now, so when does the AI come in though? I mean, when is the analytics, the machine learning, the, the model? When, when tell that you sell this, uh, the, you have the sales problem. So it, it acts as a recommendation engine, basically that we have, you know, hundreds of exercises. And then the question becomes, okay, which exercise to give Al this week? Which one would be the most suitable for him in this specific moment? That's one. So that's kind of choosing the kind of the module. The other one is within that exercise, how do we customize for all? So let's say if you say, I ask you a very deep question and, and you say, I don't know. Instead of kind of just letting you go, I would say, okay, Al, what's the first thing that comes to your mind, right? So kind of like trying to dig deeper. So that's like a very small example of personalization. Or if I ask you, how did you do with your goal since last week? And you say, almost got fired. Instead of saying like, great reflection, let's go. And I would say, I'm sorry to hear that, Al. 
So, so I would say like broadly, that's where AI comes in. One is choosing the right exercise and two, within that exercise, personalizing. In, in fairness, just to keep everybody honest here, because I know there's a yep. lot of very technical folks that are listening to it. We try to make mm-hmm. it simple, but diving mm-hmm. in, that could be perceived as a decision tree, a, a normal mm-hmm. decision tree without machine learning and you know coming up with the questions or the answers that you didn't even know existed. That's mm-hmm. where I'm trying to get. So where does that happen? Yep. So essentially, initially, when we were testing it, like in very like a year ago, it actually did start with a decision tree where we were like, okay, like, let's see, does it actually bring anyone any value? And then over time, we would start sort of add the, the AI models on top, where instead of like, when we see that, okay, we observe that, like, where does the decision tree start giving us up, right? One place, again, is where we choose the wrong exercise, right? Uh, and, and sort of um, there again, like you would prefer to have the AI there to choose that exercise for the person. The other one is like often people would be like, oh, I don't understand the question. So instead of just uh, kind of letting that pass, right, like you would do in a decision tree, you can acknowledge it now and say, okay, I, I hear that you didn't understand. You know, our team will come back to that, let's say. Uh, still better than, than just passing that through. Still like a customer service bot, then it takes the questions and it, does it use a repository you have on the quote unquote exercises you're referencing? Yeah, exactly. I think the big difference with customer service is that in customer service, you're supposed to give advice, like you, you're supposed to answer a question and that's like close to possible, <laughs> even if you know what the problem is. It's super hard to give because, because the advice depends so, so much on the, on the individual. Versus in coaching, it's almost, it feels like it's almost enough to know what the problem is. We don't give advice, right? It's enough for us to give that framework. And then it's kind of like with a diary. They fill in the gaps and they find their own answer. So keep going. Give me an example of the exercise because I'm still stuck on the decision mm-hmm. tree trying to figure out I mean, what the, the magic is. The, the magic is in, I think, in, in two things. So in, in terms of the exercise, right? So let's say you tell me that you're overwhelmed. The NLP would look at that and be like, okay, that we can classify that as a time management issue. Al has a lot of work and it's hard for him to manage his time. Okay. And then the usual answer to time management issues is prioritization. So there is a very simple framework called Eisenhower metrics that I'm sure you've heard of, where essentially uh, there's important and non-important tasks, and then there's urgent and non-urgent. And Mm so I would guide you through that framework. I would be like, hey, Al, so there's this framework. Let's start from the beginning. So out of all the tasks that you have, what are the ones that are urgent and important? And you would say, okay, these are the ones, right? And I would be like, okay, these are you know, the ones that you need to do now. Then I would be like, okay, Al, so what are the ones that are important but not urgent? I would be like, okay, put it in your calendar. Then I would be, okay, what are the urgent uh, but not important? And I would be like, okay, delegate those, right? And then lastly, I would ask you for the non-important, not urgent, and I would be like, don't do them, right? So it's a very basic thing. We can start with that. And then if I see that you're still struggling, then we have another 10 frameworks, right, uh, for you to choose from. So that's that's a very kind of basic example. And the magic is in, in two things. One is when you tell me that you're overwhelmed, what's the right exercise to give you from like hundreds, right? And then the second thing is, when you do that exercise, let's say, again, like I, I sort of ask you a question and then you're like, well, not sure, maybe this, maybe that. And I would be like, well, that doesn't sound like a very solid answer. I would like Al to think about it for a bit longer. And I would be like, okay, Al, so I hear that you are saying this and that. Are there any other things that come to your mind? So as simple as that. 
I look, I fully get the NLP. This does make a lot more sense to me now. So does this mean that very smart people like Kate that have certifications on coaching, you're going to put them all out of business or what? No, because there, there's <laughs> certain things you can't do with a chatbot. For example, if people want to cry on someone's shoulder and they need that human empathy, uh, you can sort of simulate that to some extent and people really anthropomorphize the bot surprisingly but then on the other hand there's also a lot of people who don't have access to sort of business coaches right now so there's there's a ton of people like most of our users they've never had coaching before and the reason is again because it's not really something they could afford so i, th I think it's more that the market will expand you know 10 20 i don't know how many times uh not you so ever much find like a case where you don't have a model or an exercise, as you call yeah. it? Yeah, then we would basically write a new one. Um, and over time, that happens, you know, rarely um, or m m less and less frequently. How many exercises do you have that exist? There? I think currently it's in low hundreds. I think it's probably, yeah, it's definitely more than 100. I don't know if it's more than 500, somewhere in that range. So I presume you have folks writing content continuously. Yep. It's not that many people. I mean, we currently have three coaches. So the team is 12 all in all. And, and these are certified coaches. So it's kind of, you know, it's, yep. you're coaching from that side. I would Let me see if I say something correct or, or incorrect here. <laughs> so you've Go got, ahead. you're complementing AI with coaches that help provide some of the leading questions that give to the robot, but then they also devise the exercise. And then the AI performs NLP in between to connect the individual with the right exercise. And then one more thing, which is that the expert coaches can uh, help with the supervised learning for your uh, geekier listeners. Uh, so essentially they can do it on two levels. One is in between the sessions. So if we see that the score is going down, so every time we ask people for feedback and we ask them for the score on the scale from zero to hundred, and then we ask, what did you like the best? What did you like the least? And if we see that the score is going down, we can invite the coach and be like, okay, you know, what exercise would you choose here? And, and then that can feed into the algorithm. The other part is if uh, we see that, so currently what we actually releasing um, this week is what we call a supervisor. Um, so it might seem like a step back, but I would say it's actually a huge step forward where now the coach would also be able to intervene during the session. So, and that would again feed back into the algorithm. And why it's important is not so much correcting the algorithm, even more, I think it would be important to test some features that we don't have yet. So if we have a certain you know, feature to develop an NLP model, right, an idea, before actually developing it, we would be able to have like a human coach to fake that on the background and see, okay, does that improve the score? Like, does it actually provide the value? And if it doesn't, like that's, let's not build it. Uh, because currently it's super hard to know. Like there's no, yeah, there's no, no way to know before you actually build it, unfortunately. Well, you asked the second question I was going towards, or how do you find, <laughs> pro produce that continuous feedback? So yeah, you not only better the models that, yeah, that you have and then provide new models uh, yep. do, but you know, let's say somebody goes in for a coaching exercise, like you just described, they got their prioritization completed. Is there any kind of follow-up that you do from a, a manager to individual afterwards that's supposed to happen? I mean, like when it's all said and done, do you get feedback there as well to also better the, the tool, but you know, continue the coaching one-on-one -on -one, like, uh, through human intervention or what? 
you know, we don't really pass it on to humans, but we continue with, you know, within the, that AI scope. And there's, there's a few things. So one is um, simply following up on the goals. So we would say, hey, Al, so last week you set this goal. Did you actually achieve it? And if not, then why not? And if, uh, what did you learn, right? And, and um, so, so that's, um, that's going to be critical. And I think that that's one like huge value add because with a lot of change programs, it starts with a huge, you know, splash with the kickoff, but then over time it kind of dies down. And we have an ability to, to have this like very long and continuous follow-up there. The other thing is we just like last week released so-called nano sessions. So instead of just having this half an hour sessions once per week, people also have five minute sessions uh, in the beginning of the day and the end of the day. So they can do a quick check-in and check out. And you can essentially follow up with them on the goals there too, especially if they want to build habits and those habits are, you know, usually they're something they want to do on a daily basis. So you can actually follow up there literally on a daily basis. I'm like, I get your prioritization, but I'm, I presume in fairness, there's people listening going, yeah, that's useful. I could see that. What's your most profound use case that would make people stop right yeah. now? There are some like really sophisticated exercises that, for example, go into your personal narrative. Like, what do you tell yourself about yourself? Like, how do you see yourself, right? But when I think of like what made the biggest impact, I remember there was one user who was a head of innovation in, in this relatively small company, 500 people. And after the first session, he was like, ah, oh, it only asked me questions. I, I kind of like, I don't know, I expected more. Like I thought maybe it would give me advice. And then over time he was like, uh, just like two days later, he's like, oh damn, actually now I realize I, because of the chatbot conversation um, and it was going, I think through this like six, six hats exercise. So kind of, okay, put on one hat, imagine that you are, you know, full of creativity, then put on your analytical hat. It's like a very simple exercise for creativity and problem solving. And he was like, oh, I actually found a solution to this problem that I was dealing with for six months. And then suddenly I have a plan. And, and just because of an idea that I got. So I, I think it's not so much about like, oh, what's the kind of, hardcore tool i think it's about providing that tool at the right time you know the right place right time to solve the right problem i get that look i'm a huge believer in coaching as anybody that's listened to this podcast huge huge believer in coaching uh and i think there's a lot of tools that we can use i mean like the tool you described on the the prioritization put it into different quadrants you know people may know it and talk about it but this could make them do it and it makes a difference. Yeah. It, it, is, exactly. it provides value, 100%. Having said that, no profound use case that you've heard that you'd like to, that you say, hey, this one, we've had this happen and this, this is one of our exercises that we find that's only can be done through this tool, really good. Anything that you'd re reference there? I just want to give you that opportunity if, if, you, if you want to take it. I think like if I, if I think of the most impressive kind of impacts I would actually think of something more on the organizational level. So like on the individual level, perhaps like the biggest, you know, the best story is the one I just told. But then there's something on the organizational level where the organization was essentially doing well financially. And they were like, well, the numbers looks great. Uh, but then, you know, when we start coaching people, we're like, something doesn't look great here. <laughs> like a lot of people are leaving, people who are still there they are overloaded because there's a lot of people who left. They are busy with hiring new ones. No one is kind of supporting each other. And we actually realized that they had like a huge blind spot where they didn't look at those human metrics. 
they were essentially like super focused on the financial ones. And we found out that, hey, they were actually focusing on the results that, that are coming from last year's work. And as a result of our project, they canceled like a five-year corporate strategy. It was a you know relatively big corporate. Like it was just the tool that, that cost them not that much. And it's something that I think like otherwise they would have paid millions to consultants. And it wasn't so much about, again, the kind of specific framework that was kind of like, oh, like kind of this genius thing, uh, but more th- the fact that it actually happens, it happens at scale and that like all, all their managers used it. A situation where the analytics and the findings behind the answers led them to believe that the, the strategy wasn't working, bottom line, and they had to exactly. make it Exactly. Yeah. And, and of course, it's not just the analytics. It's also the kind of the, the huge, I think, support that was provided on the individual level that, you know, helped them to support all these people and actually start making changes. Like, I think, okay, I actually know what, you, you know, you asked like, okay, what's the most, it's not even the exercise that's the most powerful. It's a question. Usually when people start saying, oh, like I have this problem. I think one of the key questions I heard is like, what's, if you were the manager, what, what would you, what would you do? And then people are like, well, maybe I would do this and this, but but I'm not the manager. It's like, okay, but could you still do it? And they're like, yeah, actually, maybe I could start doing this small thing. And suddenly you have, you know, change happening that way where people are like, oh, actually, maybe I can take initiative. Look, I think this is valuable, like you said, particularly for those that don't have access to a coach. There's a lot of tooling you can get involved with and a lot of, uh, you call them exercises or methodologies you can use that uh, I think in and of itself, uh, that could make you more productive and uh, drive better performance. Well, there's several things I get out of a, a, a coach, though, that I find hard to see in, in, in a tool like this. And that one of them is empathy. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, <laughs> maybe it's just me, but I spend yep. a lot of time with coach talking about this problem or that problem. Sometimes you can't get it out. You know what I mean? It's it's hard to describe no matter what question is being asked, but that empathy comes in, you can feel the empathy. You tend to open up more with empathy and you end up saying things that you wouldn't normally have said. And all of a sudden you're down a path you didn't intend, but you're glad you went down it because you find solutions that you wouldn't have other anticipated. Does that make sense? I don't know if I, yeah, I definitely. No, definitely. Sure. Definitely. I think that what we've seen is, is quite surprising. I would say that the approach is just different. I wouldn't say like, I, I, we haven't actually done a study yet. I, I really hope we would soon uh, to compare like traditional coaching with our approach. Um, but what I've seen is that um, there's actually some surprising advantages and, and then some like um, comparable sort of still benefits, even on the empathy side. So on the advantages, one thing that people say is that they're like, oh, suddenly I feel like no one is there judging me. Like I, I can actually be more honest than I can even be with my coach. Because with a coach, there's still someone there, right? But but if it's just That's a chatbot, then who should I hide this from? Especially if that coach is a manager. Like quite often people are like, well, I wanted to tell this to someone, but I don't really want to tell to, <laughs> tell this to my manager, right? Because they have power over me, they could fire me. So that, that's one thing, which is kind of like, you know. But don't they hear that anyway? I mean, they're giving it to a chatbot. But I remember, or I've remembered when I'm being a first-line manager otherwise, and I, I remember, you know, the individuals tell me, hey, I don't want to answer that. Do they mm. really not see what I'm saying? You know, that kind of stuff happens all the time, Yeah. right? Yeah, so surprisingly I- with us, it, it has been, like, we basically make it very, 
very clear that, hey, like your data is anonymized. We ask them for consent beforehand. And I think the big thing here is that they see value from it. So in comparison to, I think the, the main challenge with an HR survey is that it's a very one-sided tool or surveys in general. Like I, I hate surveys myself because it feels like, okay, you're giving this data, you're giving them information and then what are you getting in return? Like it feels like nothing really, or, or it's not clear and you don't know who is asking quite often. So I think that the, and it's surprisingly builds trust, you, even though it's a chatbot, they're like, oh, like it's actually useful for me. But so the other things we've seen is that it can actually be super emotional, even though there is no one on the other end. And the analogy I give is a journal. So I don't know, some people like to journal or do, you know, use a diary and they reflect there, it's just them, but it can still be super emotional. And I think, the, you know, again, there, there's just you. Uh, and it's the same way, just that this is an, an interactive diary. I, I sometimes make a joke that it's it's like in, in Harry Potter 2, uh, where he has this like diary and he writes there. I'm just like, I hope that ours is not evil, uh, like, like the one in the movie was. But yeah. And then finally, writing also helps them clarify their thoughts. That's kind of the last point. So if, if you just do the, you know, talking... It's easy to, you know, talk a lot and, and never get to the point. But if you're forced to write, then it, it kind of, it's a very different mode of. Yeah, but that, that was my second part is sometimes when you, <laughs> talk, when you talk, though, a coach, a human, this is where I'm, you know, curious, will pick out yep. things, solve a problem that you, you know, take you down a logic path that you do. I'll give you an example. Yep. <laughs> and it, it's like you get on the call with a coach. And you're having a, a personal conversation. This could have happened. Maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> I say, yeah, look, I just came from Napa. I'm never going back. Well, why aren't you ever going back? Because I, I spent way too much money. You know what Napa is? You know, you buy wine, right? I spent way too much money. This is ridiculous. It's just grape juice. Never doing it again. And before I know it, it's like, well, let's dive into that for just a second. Well, I'd just rather move on. Well, let's dive into it for just a second. How much money did it cost you? This this amount of money. Wow, that's a lot of money. You're absolutely right. It progresses to such a point where the, then the question the coach would provide me is, are you sure you're buying wine? What do you mean by that? Are you sure you're not buying an experience? You know, to explain more. Well, look, you're going, you're with friends. They're buying wines. Do you ever drink that wine when you get home? Yeah. Is it good wine? It's fantastic. Okay. Do you ever get together with those friends that you went with? And drink wine when you're there? Yeah, we do that every month. Okay. And do you talk about business and do you solve some of the problems that you have in your life and different things like that? Do they help you out there? You know, three of them out of four are CEOs themselves. Yeah, they give me advice and they probably have my back. You have their back? Yeah. How much is that worth to you? Oh, that's worth a lot of money. Are you going to go back to Napa? Probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you get that from a coach that would find yep. something. And that, that was in the, like the first eight minutes of a 60 minute conversation that right there, I'm still thinking about it to this day. Yep. I mean, could a tool do that? Of course, there's levels like here, right? So here it asks, uh, you know, the coach asks you a number of questions to kind of get to that, you know, uh, point where you would, you would get that aha moment. One thing that we actually currently, you know, planning is somewhat similar. So let's say that, you know, I asked you, okay, what do you think is the, you know, the core of the, of the challenge that you're dealing with? And you're like, well, Dima, you know, I'm just always unlucky. 
it just never, you know, I never get the result I want. And it's just, you know, everything is just horrible, right? And that's something that even the NLP model can pick up and be like, hey, I'll, it feels like you're catastrophizing here. Like, I, I assure that, like, maybe we should, you know, uh, try to, to take that piece by piece and see if that's actually true and, and sort of analyze that and see, okay, can we, can we test the, you know, the alternative scenario there? So it's actually surprising, but yeah, like even things like that, like the NLP can actually do, because it's, it's, there's certain patterns there again. You know, how many times do you say never in a, in a sentence? <laughs> so different, but related, related. Hey, Kate, I've been hogging all the time. Kate is the consummate coach here. I know you got some questions. Jump in and ask Dima a couple of hard ones. We might get to a couple of hard ones, but I would like to point out that our sidebar conversation I was having is that one of the huge upsides for this is that it's consistent. I mean, we're making the assumption that all coaches are like the coach we work with, Al, just fantastic, bring value, et cetera. So this consistency would be huge. And then knowing its place, if I have this implemented in a company, it would be so powerful to get that pattern across different organizations, to get that real-time feedback for my humans. I think that just would be incredibly powerful. So I think not making the assumption that every in the human is better, right? There's lots of decisions I would like help with <laughs> being made from a computer because it has so much more knowledge than I, and it reflects something that I put into it. I think that's really powerful there. I would like to go a little bit deeper into some of the technology that's used. I've been doing a little bit of reading because we had a great guest on a couple of weeks ago who was talking about the carbon footprint impact of running some AI models. And so I just would like to deep dive a little bit into what models you're using to find intent, to do the right inference, things like that. Maybe geek out on us for a second, if you don't mind. Awesome. Yeah, so our CTO is Axe Amazon. Uh, he was leading some uh, development teams there. And essentially, when we started um, looking at different models, we realized that uh, most of the chatbots are customer service. And it's a very different space. And, and there was li like literally nothing in coaching. Like I know of two more companies that might be doing something related. Um, like may maybe three companies uh, worldwide. And, and I, I tried, I, I looked. So, so it's, and, and essentially he was like, well, I think we need to build it from the ground up. And initially we, we built our own model uh, using, um, so one thing we used, um, one, one technology is Word to Vec, uh, which is essentially like uh, uh, moving words into vectors. Uh, so that's, and, and then the, the second thing is um, hidden Markov models, uh, which are well known for high performance on kind of machine translation, uh, sequential predictions. And, and both of the things together, what they allowed us to do is to build a model with very little data. So we, we had like very little data and, and it was mostly unsupervised learning. And then currently we're moving towards a more, you know, supervised engine where we would have the the sort of, um, yeah, the, the, the coaches involved kind of correcting that and, and more data now that, you know, we are growing. I guess what's, what's also important is that it allowed us, like building that unsupervised engine allowed us to build something that can be language independent very early on and then scale without like overusing cloud resources. Uh, so at least like initially that, that was critical. 
Um, that being said, I'm not the CTO, unfortunately. <laughs> that, that's okay. That It sounds like what I heard you say to, for our listeners out there, I apologize for oversimplifying this. It sounds like you started with that vector-based model, which is a lot more around very sophisticated decision-making. And then you went to, I didn't quite catch the name of the next, of the next model. Um, the hidden Markov models. Hidden Markov models. Okay. I'll have to look Yeah, it's, it was the combination of the two, basically. And, and we're still using both, yeah. But basically, you constantly look to evolve your model technology, right? Because it comes. Yeah, definitely, to and and also like there was the big move where initially we were like, okay, we have very little data, um, we we don't have a chance to supervise it right now. So so it was yeah, essentially working with that um, small data sets, um, working with unsupervised data, and then now we are moving towards like, okay, let's actually have a supervisor to bring it to the next level. Now I've heard that bias is apparent in all models. Is how how does that work here, or how is that accounted for? Because it's kind of like it's all about me by me. So am I yeah. just biased against me? How how does that work? I think the main bias is, um, I guess, and and we we haven't gotten to that scale yet where we would see it. Uh, but essentially, all of it comes down to do people are people satisfied currently. Right, so so we usually see that if they achieve their goals, um, mm -hmm. they tend to be happy. Uh, that is the metrics we we're optimizing for. I think long term would be nice to switch from just like are they satisfied to are they actually making progress? Because they could be satisfied but not making progress, right? If if it just makes them feel better, but they're not actually kind of making those hard steps. Um, so it's a good question. What what you're optimizing for? But at least for now been, and I'm not ashamed of this word, trying to get yeah. people addicted to it because sure. I think coaching is a good thing to get people addicted to. Uh, so, so that was honestly like, you know, the, the, the direction for now. I love it. And then I have one last question. I'll turn it over to Al just because it's been top of mind recently. How do you measure progress? How would you begin to tackle figuring out what to measure to say, yep, somebody has progressed on what? as part of their coaching journey. How do you measure that? I think it's generally one of the biggest problems in the whole like HR space. And I think this is the reason why we underinvest in people in general. Yeah. I think to tackle it, so on the individual level, at least for now, I think we would just be looking at, so individual level self-reporting of them achieving their goals. So are they actually progressing or not? Because we ask them every week, like, hey, okay, so you, you set this goal, have you done it, right? And even tracking that, I think, is already like a good proxy uh, for the start. Uh, if you want to be robust, I think you need to look at the organization level and essentially ideally have like hard KPIs, which is like most of our clients, unfortunately, didn't have. Uh, so you might have that in the sales department. And that's that's amazing. Um, so so there it's like one of the easiest ways to do it. Sure. Uh, but outside the sales department, um, essentially, we're collaborating currently with some of the um, coaching effectiveness researchers, um, some of the top researchers in the world from Germany, Israel and Finland. So they are. They essentially went to us and they were like, well, we've never seen this before. Uh, can we do this study for you for free? Uh, we can measure the effectiveness for your clients. It's going to be an scientific study and, and, you know, it's for free for everyone, right? That's the one that we are currently doing on the organization level. Oh, that's exciting. That's incredible. Very good. Thank you so much. Nicely done, Kate. Hey, Dima, before we break, I, I'd like you to describe your business model and your go-to-market. Yep. yep. So... Yeah, the go-to-market is actually quite interesting because we started with HR, but then we realized that it's it's actually hard to sell into HR. I think that 
they tend to, in, in I'm talking cliches, I actually don't know what the station is, for example, in IBM, but they tend to have pretty small budgets and they often don't have authority in most organizations I talk to. And we, and, and also like they, they tend to have these providers that they worked with for the past 20 years. And essentially at some point we stumbled upon this problem with change management and some managers came to us and they were like, hey, you're doing this stuff with training follow-up. Can you do the same? Like it, it seems it's also behavior change, also culture change. Can you can you do it here? Uh, because we actually have a lot invested. We have a lot writing on this and, and we actually, you know, we want to make it happen for real. It's not just a checkbox. And, and so nowadays we mostly sell to, you know, CIO, head of innovation, change management people. Um, and I think that has been a huge difference. And I, I think that there's currently like our competition is essentially this uh, coaching marketplaces. Maybe you've heard of BetterUp, CoachHub. Um, so I think that's kind of like really like, you know, uh, the most like indirect competition I can think of. Uh, but they're all in the HR space because they can't really compete in the change management because they can't scale coaching uh, to the level that change requires. Because change happens almost like on, you know, on the level of the whole department or the whole organization. Um, so we were like, okay, we're going to go there and try to solve that problem, which is underserved. Uh, and then potentially maybe we could scale it to HR as well, right? Once this becomes popular and mainstream. And then the business model, it's quite simple. So it's, it's um, subscription uh, license per person per month. And currently it goes, um, you know, the most expensive is like 90 euros per person per month. And it goes down to 10 uh, when you have 500 plus employees, I think even less is possible, but that would have to be like uh, <laughs> even bigger projects. So we, we haven't crossed that bridge yet. Have you ever thought about a go-to-market model that it's straight to the consumer? Yeah, the, 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 we, what we haven't figured out is how to price it in a way that it doesn't cannibalize our B2B pricing. So, and, and also like it, it would have to be so cheap so to make it like consumers are used to like tools that cost 10 euros per person per month, right? And that, that is something that we sell at like a scale of 500 people plus. So if, if I put that up, then like what steps, you know, um, SAP and, and IBM and Universal just to be like, well, we're just going to kind of buy it at, at a small scale <laughs> for the same price. So that's something we yet to figure out. When we published it at higher price, what, what was funny is that people who are our potential buyers started using it and started paying for it, you know, at that level. So we, we basically priced it like a hundred per month and then it turned into a free trial because we realized, okay, like it's actually the, the buyers that are, <laughs> that are rolling for it, not so much the consumers yet, but, but I think that would be the dream long-term. Make, makes sense. Very good. Hey, I got three rapid fire questions for you. You ready? Dan, in-person coach or an AI coach? <laughs> AI coach. <laughs> yeah, I I'm a little biased here, but hey. Yeah, I figured. Hire for skill or hire for culture? Ah, uh, I'm going to be contrarian and say hire for skill. Oh, why would you say that? Because otherwise you don't have diversity. And then everyone is from the same culture. Everyone is um, a white middle-aged man as the stereotype goes. <laughs> okay. And just your number one business book that you recommend most? Outsiders, which is about eight CEOs. The Outsiders? Who, who, who out, yeah, they outperformed like everyone else. And it's basically a book saying that, okay, we all look at these guys from GE and say that, oh, that was a great CEO. But if you actually actual, if you look at actual performance, he wasn't that great. And, and this eight were great. And, and let's study why they were great. Very good. Look, um, the reason I invited you on is because I think this technology is very cool. I know I gave you a hard time, but that's kind of what I do. You handled it very, very well. I think everybody should have a coach. I think it's um, 
I mean, by example, if we had a football team and everybody said, hey, we don't need coaches, uh, I'm sure there's somebody out there say, hey, we could do that, but I think it'd be very odd. It'd be misaligned. People that wouldn't know where to go, who to start, everything else. But we don't think of it that way. A lot of times in business, we think we can get by without a coach, which is ridiculous in my mind. And I think this technology provides that opportunity. Uh, the other thing I think is very interesting that you said is that kind of hits home with me and it's something I want to follow back up with you on. I know I owe you an email, by the way, is that uh, you're right. Everyone still kind of does surveys. I do surveys. And you're also right that it seems to be one-sided. Now you try to get back to all the people that did the surveys, you give the top responses and stuff, but wouldn't it be cool if they were more interactive and action-oriented and you got value right there in a first sitting? That's pretty cool. And I think your technology does this. So thank you for being here. I greatly appreciate it. Learned a lot today. Likewise. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Kate, any last minute words from yourself? Thanks so much for being here. Learned a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dima. Thank you for listening, folks. We appreciate it. Hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until then, we will see you on the podcast later. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.